Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Devlina Chakraborty. And in our last episode, we talked a little bit about five Roman shipwrecks off of Ventitene. It's kind of a big recent archaeological find, pretty interesting stuff there. Yeah, but it looks kind of idyllic, actually. It does look pretty idyllic, um, but, you know, there's going to be some issues, as we'll uncover on this podcast. Yep. We talked about the island a little bit itself, and it's right off the coast of Naples, and it's where the first Roman emperor, Augustus, built this grand villa complete with spas, and he built this complex system of cisterns to collect rainwater because there were no natural springs on the island. And probably most importantly, he built this harbor that transformed this remote volcanic rock into a safe haven, a place where merchant ships could come while they were trading throughout the Mediterranean. So sounds good so far. Um, but that peaceful remoteness also made Ventatene the perfect place to send someone that you'd never want to see again. Yeah, it's the ideal prison. Yep, not too inconvenient for jailers, but also very isolating for the detainees. Yeah, and there was actually eventually a prison built on the nearby Santo Stefano. Um, Mussolini would lock up his political prisoners there. But we're talking about long before Mussolini's time. We're going to be keeping in that age of Augustus when Ventatene and the other Pontine Islands that are in the Tyrrhenian Sea right off the coast of Italy there, were used to exile the Roman elite and get them out of Rome, get them away from the place where they could cause trouble. And we're going to take a look at Augustus's most famous detainee, his own daughter and only child, Julia. Yeah. So first, in case you're a little rusty on your Roman history, we're going to give you a very brief background on Augustus, who is known as Octavius and then Octavian until 27 BC, in case you've ever gotten confused over these name changes. And he was the grand nephew and the posthumous adopted son and heir of Julius Caesar. And it's after Caesar's murder that things started to get kind of complicated. And um, for a time, he ruled as part of a triumvirate, which famously broke apart in war and defeated Mark Antony, uh, Katie and I did an earlier episode on Cleopatra's children where we talked about the Battle of Actium a little bit. Um, and eventually, uh, the future Augustus emerges as the sole ruler of what's outwardly still a republic. It's still a Roman republic, but it eventually transforms into the Roman Empire with, of course, Augustus at its head. Yep, so Augustus is in charge, but then he wants to change his image a little bit. He wanted to set himself apart from the chaos of the wars and the moral depravity that he saw in the Republic. And so part of his agenda for the empire was to restore family values. Yeah, get back to some sort of golden age as he saw it. Yep, so he passed some laws encouraging marriage because he... He believed that the population had declined due to too many men visiting prostitutes instead of in lieu of marriage. And at the Roman Games, one of the things that he did to encourage people to get married at the Roman Games, he um, he gave some of the best seats at the Games to married men, yeah, which so I think is a pretty good a good perk yeah. of getting married. Um, he also rewarded fathers of three or more children with promotions, and mothers of three or more got a little bit more say in property issues. Um, meanwhile, 
people who didn't get married unless they were vestal virgins or something uh, started to lose some of their rights. And he reformed all sorts of laws that had to do with marriage, too, on adultery and engagements. Girls now had to be at least 10 years old before they got engaged. And, um, of course, to do all this, he wanted to lead by example. You don't want a um, hypocritical leader oh, no. espousing family values who's not living that way. So... He went as far as to mass market his own women folk. He cast statues of his wife, Livia, and his sister, Octavia, and essentially distributed them throughout the empire, which was kind of an unusual thing to do at the time for people to get such a personal look into the emperor's own household. But it was, um, I don't know, just to set the example. These are my virtuous women relatives and uh, follow their example and mine. He also did some things like wearing simple woolen tunics that he claimed that Octavia and Livia had woven. Yeah, and later that his daughter had woven or that his granddaughters had woven. Right. So the message was, I'm a regular guy. And that was what he was trying to portray to the public. Yeah, that his his women were good, virtuous weavers doing their job. Um, (laughs) And uh, Livia, she's kind of a master of this um I don't know, this PR branding here of <laughs> That's exactly what it is. She played message. into it, didn't she? She played along. She definitely does. And I mean, despite her reputation, she's she's good at this outward front. She spurned wearing jewels in public and said that her children were her true jewels. Um but, you know, is it too surprising that Augustus's own personal life was kind of a mess? I, I mean, I don't I'm think shocked. so. <laughs> so just to, yeah, give you the, like, the briefest rundown of what Augustus was really involved in. Yep, he divorced his wife, his second wife, Scribonia, just days after she gave birth in 39 BC to his only child, Julia. And he already had his third wife lined up. And that was the teenage Livia. And the only problem there is that Livia was already married to a man named Tiberius Claudius Nero, and they actually already had one son together. And when Augustus first falls in love with her, she's six months pregnant with their second child. Not a problem for Augustus. No, not at all. He just forces Tiberius to divorce his wife and marries her himself after she's had her baby, Drusus. Yeah, and so when the elder Tiberius dies, Augustus adopts Livia's two sons and raises them up in his household with his daughter and his nephew, Octavia's son, um, Marcus Claudius Marcellus. So it sounds a lot like a Roman soap opera, doesn't it? Yeah, it's getting, things are getting pretty strange already at this point. All right, so that tricky family history, though, unsurprisingly, brings us to a pretty tricky issue of succession. And we have three emperors in waiting, these three boys who are growing up in Augustus's household. There are, are of course, Livia's sons, Tiberius and Drusus, and then Octavia's son, Marcellus. And Augustus conveniently has this one daughter with which to seal the deal, um, and She's already been engaged before, so she's already been kind of used as this political pawn from her infancy when she was engaged to Mark Antony's son, Marcus Antonius Antillus, and that engagement was obviously broken off. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked out. (laughs) But by the boys' teens, Augustus takes Marcellus and Tiberius off 
on campaign to show them the ins and outs of being a general. And when he comes back, he marries his daughter to Marcellus. Yeah, so it seems like even though Marcellus isn't the official heir, uh, seems like that's where he's headed. And he's really popular with the people. The historians love him. And he's being fast-tracked for very high promotions at a young age. So it, it definitely seems like he will be Augustus's heir. Yeah, everything was looking rosy at that point. But then he dies. Yeah, he dies in 23 BC. He's still a teenager. And Julia is now a widow and available available yeah line up guys um so she doesn't marry one of her stepbrothers which maybe you would think since they were possibly the two prime heirs at this point um she marries Marcus Vespanius Agrippa who is already married and a lot older he's the trusted deputy of Augustus and um, he divorces his wife to marry the young Julia. Um, if you recognize his name, if you've ever been to the Pantheon, it's carved right there in the front. So he's a pretty, he's a pretty well-known guy at that point, and then still, of course, today, obviously. And they have five children together. Many of them are born while she accompanies him along on campaign. Yeah, they seem like a pretty good. They get along with each other. They seem like a pretty good match, even though. There are some rumors of her infidelity starting by this point. Yep, the rumors have already begun. Uh, but there, there are five kids that they had. Gaius Caesar, Julia the Younger, Lucius Caesar, Agrippina, who was eventually Agrippina the Elder. And the last one was Agrippa Posthumus, who was born after Agrippa's death in 12 BC. Yeah, and so Agrippa's death is obviously a big deal for Julia because, okay... She has five kids. She's been married twice. She's not even 30 yet. Um, it seems like maybe there'd be a little downtime now. <laughs> oh, no. No. So as soon as this son is born, and while she's still in mourning, Augustus marries her off again. And this time he marries her to her stepbrother, Tiberius. And, you know, we have to wonder why this marriage is made so hastily. And part of it has to do with Augustus's wife, Livia, who has long been pressuring her husband to favor her own sons. And since the younger son has recently died, this leaves Tiberius. She has pinned her hopes on him following Augustus. Yep. And for Tiberius, a match to the emperor's daughter would help sort of seal the deal, would help cement his claim to the empire, especially since Augustus is starting to favor his eldest grandsons, Gaius and Lucius, over over um, Tiberius. But Tiberius is already married. This yeah. seems to happen a lot. More of this soap opera drama here. Marriage seems almost pointless in this case. I don't know. Um, so Tiberius is already married. And unfortunately, he's married to a woman that he actually loves. Weirdly, the stepdaughter of Julia through Agrippa, if you can work that out in your head somehow. And Augustus forces them to divorce. So at this point, a really unhappy alliance begins between the mourning Julia and the lovesick Tiberius, who is forbidden to ever see his ex-wife, whom he loves again after Augustus hears of him following her around in the streets weeping. Which has got to be the saddest thing Ever. I mean, it's a pretty sad picture. Even, I don't know, I, I think we usually think of Tiberius because of his later reputation, but this part is sad. Um, so this 
very unhappy alliance produces one son, but he dies young in 6 BC. And not long after this, there's a breakdown, it seems. Tiberius goes into voluntary exile, even though he's just reached what was at this point the height of his power. He was granted the powers of a tribune. So we have to wonder, why did he leave now? Yeah, there are a few reasons for it, most likely. For one thing, Augustus has allowed Julius' son Gaius to be elected consul by the... He's like a little kid, too. (laughs) Yeah, so kind of insulting. Um, So he's elected consul by the People's Assembly, though he insists the appointment be delayed until the boy comes of age. But still, it's sort of symbolic, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Augustus is obviously favoring his grandson over his stepson. Right, so that doesn't look good. And then Julia is off making Tiberius' life pretty miserable at this point. So it seems. Um, She had come into the marriage with a reputation for pretty scandalous behavior, and it seems like she's only expanded on it since then. And by Augustus's own law, if Tiberius suspected his wife of adultery, he's required to denounce her. But that poses a little bit of a problem because she's the emperor's only child, and he kind of dotes on her. And to... I don't know, to expose her in the public as an adulteress, as an adulteress might not make Augustus very happy. And it could possibly end up with Tiberius being in trouble instead of Julia. So he's in a tight spot here. Yep. So he leaves for Rhodes where his personality kind of changes over the 10 years that he's away before Augustus allows him to return. It's it's the start of his transformation to the Tiberius that you guys discussed back in the Caligula episode, which you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I think he was kind of just a um, withdrawn guy before this, but something something kind of happens while he's gone. Um, So, all right. Tiberius is gone. Julia is still hanging out in Rome. When does Augustus finally get wise to what's going on and to what his daughter's up to? Well, despite Julia's not living up to this brand, <laughs> Augustus, Augustus family values brand. <laughs> yep, the perfect family family brand. He's a somewhat indulgent father. He'd tell his friends, and I think this is really funny, he'd tell his friends that he had two somewhat wayward daughters whom he had to put up with, and that was one was the Roman Republic and the other was Julia. So one year before Julia's son Gaius would have come to age in 1 BC, her scandal finally breaks. Yeah, it all comes out in the wash. And it's hard to know what is true and what's the exaggeration of the Roman historians who are obviously inclined to exaggerate things. (laughs) Um, But Julia was accused of affairs with at least five men, including, most famously, Julius Antonius, who is another one of Mark Antony's sons. And strangely, he's the full brother of the man who Julia was engaged to in her infancy, um, because everybody in this podcast is connected and married (laughs) to each other at some point. Uh, But there were worse rumors than just these affairs. There are rumors that men would line up to take their turn with her on the speaker's platform in the forum, which is the same place where Augustus had actually delivered these laws making adultery a crime. So, I mean, it seems especially terrible. Yeah, more than a little spot on your record. Definitely. Several of these men who are reportedly involved are executed, forced to commit suicide, or banished. And by law, Julia herself should actually be executed, too. But 
Augustus, doting father that he is, really doesn't have the heart to do this. Yeah, but he doesn't go easy on her either. He exiles her to Pantataria, which is later Ventitene, in 2 BC, and uh, she lives a pretty austere life from then on. She has no luxuries, no wine, no male visitors, and she lives there with her mother. Um, the people are not happy about Julia's being exiled, though. You might think that if they were buying into Augustus's whole new golden age, right. they might look down on Julia with all these wild rumors. But she's really popular. She's, yeah, they like her. Yeah, she's supposed to be witty and fun. And according to Macrobius, they want her back. Uh, but Augustus calls her the disease in my flesh and certainly has no intention of pitying her. So... There are some other theories about Julia also, that maybe she wasn't just an adulteress. Yeah, maybe that was kind of a cover-up, actually. Yep, some historians actually suggest that Julia got in trouble more for some of the political things she was doing behind the scenes than her adultery. Uh, the men involved in the scandal, for example, were all really high of the highest nobility. Blue bloods. Yep, and the timing was one year before her son's majority. So it's a sp- suspicious. Yeah, it, it seems like the the timing and the people involved are, uh, I don't know, surprising. And it's possible that Julius Antonius may have had some kind of designs on obtaining power. And maybe this was just in the form of regent. He may have been hoping that Julia and Tiberius would divorce and that since the sons weren't quite of majority yet, Julius Antonius would rule as some sort of regent. The only problem with that is that it seems unlikely that Julia would have betrayed her sons, but or her father, or even. her father, right? But Especially if if her sons are so clearly lined up to be her father's heirs. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to make sense. But another theory is that she may have just considered Julius Antonius kind of her protector, since Tiberius was off in Rhodes, and yeah. she was by herself, essentially, with Livia in the picture. Yeah, and Livia is an, a, an important player in this, because Livia so clearly wants her own son to follow Augustus and had a lot of influence over Augustus. So I can see on the one hand why Julia would be a little concerned about her own son's futures. Uh, so regardless... While Julia is off in isolation on her remote island, everything changes back in Rome. And her son Lucius dies in 2 BC, and then Gaius is killed in 4 AD. And supposedly there's a little suspicion around these deaths. Um, the same year Tiberius is allowed to return to Rome, uh, finally, after <laughs> this long... Ten years. Initially self-imposed exile, but hasn't been that way for a while. Yeah, he's allowed to return. He's reinstated to all his positions, and Augustus adopts him as his son. That's a long time coming. <laughs> Definitely. And it seems like Augustus, who has had so many possible heirs over his lifetime has finally exhausted all his options, and he has to settle at last on this middle-aged stepson that Livia has been pressuring him to act on for so long. But there's one last shakeup as Augustus adopts Posthumus as his son the same year that he adopts Tiberius. And only two years later, though, Posthumus is exiled from Rome. 
And this is possibly the designs of Olivia. She's probably behind this. Yeah, get all of those grandsons out of the picture. And by the time Julia's two elder sons are dead, after five years of being on this isolated island, her father finally allows her to leave, but he doesn't allow her to go back to Rome. Instead, she goes to Reggio de Calabria, which if you are picturing Italy in your head, it's the very tip of the boot. And... um It's not long after that that Augustus dies in AD 14, and Julia doesn't last much longer than her father. Nope, she dies shortly after that, uh, starved by Tiberius, who is still her husband, but technically, but emperor at that time. Yeah, and Tiberius also cleans up any remaining family messes and has Posthumus murdered, uh, or it's likely he has them murdered. That's a little sketchy to who exactly ordered that hit. But Tiberius's reign is it's pretty careful. I mean, if, if you're looking at just the government side of it, he strengthened the Navy, he increased the Treasury, but he descended into madness, which he's so famous for, especially after the death of his son and his move to Capri, which was mentioned in a episode on Caligula. Uh, pretty disturbing stuff going on there. And it's weird, though, but Tiberius is faced with the exact same dilemma as his stepfather, how to choose an heir. Yes, he eventually had to settle, as Augustus did, on the least offensive option that he had available. And uh, that is Gaius Caesar, who is nicknamed Caligula, a.k.a. Little Boots. And grandson of Julia. So he, this is a move that he makes right before, a move that Tiberius makes right before he is smothered to death. Yeah. So that's our dramatic end to this immediate line of family. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that somebody with these very pro-family policies ends up with this terribly disastrous personal life. Yeah, only kid banished, no, you know, grandsons All dying grandsons off killed, left and right. Or dying somehow. Yeah, it's it's a messy scene in general. So if you have any more, I don't know, dramatic soap opera Roman stories you want to share with us, you can email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Missed in History, and we're on Facebook. So lots of ways to find us. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more about another one of Julia's descendants, we have an article called Did Nero Really Play the Fiddle While Rome Burned? Another burning history question. Ha <laughs> um, And you can find that by searching for it on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more, all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts, and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes. iTunes.